What is life? What is death? What am I doing here? Who am I without? I sat up in bed and I realized in that instant of sitting up in bed and breathing, I went, Ugh! like this breathing in there. I realized I hadn't been breathing the whole time that um, I would have been in this experience. And I made that sound so loudly, it woke Tony up and he sat up and said, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know, but my life will never be the same again. It got bigger and bigger and brighter and brighter until it was filling in every direction and it was made up of lights and flames and white and just got closer and closer and then all of a sudden it hit me. And but suddenly there was like this kind of like this portal just opened that there I could just sense that I have access to all the information in the universe. So I had like this very deep connection with my team, offered up this prayer, and within like two months, my entire life fell apart. So, <laughs> you know, spirit doesn't mess around. And <laughs> when you ask, it is always given. Then in that dream, I understood that I am, what I am is mirrored throughout the whole cosmos, that it's part of, I'm part of all of that. I am uh, literally part of everything in the cosmos and all of that is part of me. It can be seen by me through these, these mirrors. And so I felt like this web of life, you cannot unplug from it. You cannot get out of it. No matter what you do, you are in it and it is glorious and all of that energy and potential and creativity and possibility is ours and that we all of the universe is reflected in our very being in our very selves and everything that we are is reflected throughout the whole universe too there's no separateness there is no such thing as anything being separate what a ride. My life is a hundred thousand times better than I ever imagined it could be.
Well, hello, 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 everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Buddhist Biohacker. My name is Lisa. I am your host and mystic guide of The Buddhist Biohacker YouTube channel. Welcome, everybody who is joining us today. Um, we are creating uplifting content one bite at a time, and we are so happy to be here once again with Satyam for our Living Yoga series. Welcome back, Satyam. Hey, great to be here again with you, Lisa. Pleasure. Oh, I love it. It feels like a month is too long. I feel like because I really miss you every time. It's like, oh, finally, we're going to talk again. Yeah. And I'm really excited about our topic today because I can't tell you, I was shocked when I got my yoga teacher certification. I was shocked at how many of my friends and family were like, oh, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a yoga person. I can't, I'm not flexible. And I thought, well, wait, like, I felt like, how did you not understand what it is? So this is a great topic. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I think it's one of the, uh, common myths of the contemporary uh, Western yoga movement. It totally is. And I want to just shout out to Karen. Welcome in, Karen. She's one of our new members to the Buddhist Biohacker YouTube channel. And hi, Anne. Welcome. For everybody who's joining, I want to hear what is your yoga excuse? Why don't you share in the comment box today? What's your excuse for not practicing yoga? That's what I want to hear. And then we can address it here. So Satyam, where do you want to start? Yeah, and I'd also like to put out a call out for myths, myths of what you have seen in the yoga movement. And let's dispel all the myths so everybody can come on in under the great tent of yoga. Um, and so I thought we would start over this overarching myth of I'm too stiff to do yoga. And then uh, with students, uh, I had a gathering last month and we collected other myths or other things that they have noticed. And later on, we can kind of go over those as well. And and here and whatever else people like to add to that. Uh, so a call out for those uh, things, misnomers they, they've uh, witnessed or, or taken, uh, yeah, observed in the, in the movement. But let's get into this thing that I am too stiff to do yoga, right? I think that's a common, uh, a common misperception that you have to be flexible to do to do yoga, and uh, it brings me up to one old old yogic mystic whose name was Astavakra. Asta in Sanskrit means eight, and Vakra means a uh, fold, I believe. And he there's an Astavakra asan, which is one of the very very difficult arm balance posture, but he was a person. And as best as we can tell, he must, he must have been born with some type of birth defect. And they called him eightfolded person. He had some type of birth defect. Hmm. But he was a great, great sadhaka, a great meditator. And, um, and that just shows that it's not about what form your body is, or how far you're flexible. It's yoga is really a mind practice. It's mind and the body is just the external presentation. And um, a lot of the real work that's going on in our yoga practice is what's going on with our mind, with our inner organs, with our glands um, and those systems. And what we see the very tip of the iceberg is like the so-called flexibility. But um, but the, so the flexibility is kind of like the external show, and no one should be, uh, you know, intimidated or um, there's kind of two sides to the coin. Some people think that you have to be flexible to do yoga, therefore I can't do it, 
which is wrong. Everyone can de can develop along the path. And then there's the other thing that, okay, if you really are stiff, which may, may be true, then all the more reason to practice yoga. It reminds me of like when I was running a meditation club at in graduate school, I had a, uh, I founded a uh, progressive spiritual society and had meditation and folks would come all through the semester. And then the last two weeks of the term, when they were really stressed out, no one would come. They like, I'm too, I'm too stressed out to meditate. And we we're like, no, 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 this is the time to come. And so, so there's the one thing that, um, you know, if you're feeling flexible, all the more reason to join in, uh, inflexible, then all the more reason to join in. And, um, uh, and I think that, um, that people think that, that, you know, you have to be able to put your ankle behind your head, or you have to be able to do all sorts of, um, contortions, really contortions rather than, but yoga is really about massaging the body, massaging the glandular, uh, the glandular um, portion of ourselves. And we're going to talk about how the glands are the linking point between the physical and mental bodies. Um, but uh, this idea that you have to be able to reach a certain point or, or be flexible is um, that doesn't have any bearing uh, on one's practice. First thing is that when everybody comes in, everybody's on their own mat. So it's not like you have to, you're sharing, everyone has their own space to practice once we get past this uh, pandemic, uh, if, if we're going for a group session. And otherwise, it all, but um, so what you're doing on your mat does not impede what anyone else is doing on their mat. So if you do a forward fold and you touch your knees, and another person does the forward fold and they normally touch their toes, but because their mat is next to yours, now they can only touch their knees. That doesn't happen. What they can do on their mat, they do. And what you do on your mat, you do. So um, uh, there's nothing uh, there's nothing about that, that uh, you're going to hold up the class or that your inflexibility is going to be. Rather, people are going to be inspired. Oh, look, this person came in. And look how courageous they are, and they're moving through the, 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 the session. So um, it's really about openness and, um, and expansion. Uh, that's really what the yogic principle is. And wherever you are, then you expand from that point. So there is no requisite to be a particular, don't wait until you're flexible to start doing yoga. That, that day may never happen. Yoga is the ideal way to uh, allow the body to open up a little bit. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and you bring up some really good points. You know, I had a yoga teacher in my training who didn't believe in having mirrors in her yoga studio because she felt like everybody's always looking in the mirror at each yeah. other and comparing each other instead yeah. of just really working your own practice in your mat. So I think what you're saying too is a good point. Like we're all in our own practice. Like we all are different and so it's good to be inspired, but not to compare, I think. So I always thought that was interesting because I thought sometimes when I practice at home, Satyam, I wish I had a mirror because I want to be able to see if I'm really in alignment. And it's hard to tell sometimes when you're not able to see it. And sometimes I think it's really good we don't because you really have to feel into your body. What's your opinion on all that? I'm curious. Yeah, um, interesting. I, I I was teaching at six different, I had six different um 
establishments where I was teaching, where I was renting out space or so forth, so on, using six different uh, places. And only one of them had a mirror. Mm. And I would never start the class with people facing the mirror. I wanted them to just forget about the mirror. It was just on the side. And then for what, for a little bit of portion of the class, we might do where we're facing the mirror. But by that point, people were in their flow of the practice. They weren't, if they're facing the mirror at the beginning, everybody starts fixing the hair or you know, straightening their clothes and all that type of, they're really self-conscious. And so <laughs> the mirror has its place. I can't say it doesn't have its place, but um, the mental mirror is far superior. It's far better to you to feel the pose from the inside out, to not be self-conscious. And, um, you know, every so often, I suppose, a mirror can be a helpful tool. But, um, but you know, I, I don't think it's a requirement. And, uh, and, and now it's interesting for me uh, that uh, prior when we were in live, I was always looking at my students and not seeing myself. And now, you know, teaching all the Zoom classes, I have to make sure I'm projecting a good image and so forth so they can follow along. So I'm primarily looking at myself, which I've gotten accustomed to. Um, and I saw so I'm, I'm kind of using that mirror image as a teaching tool. I can see exactly. So it has its place. But, you know, I think mostly we can feel it's if we can feel the pose inside out. It's that's really when we start um, getting a, a sense of our practice physically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and understanding, like, I think for me, when we talk about being too stiff and we've got a great comment from Hope here too, it will get to in a second. So for everybody who's joining in now, you can share a comment as to what are your yoga myths or your yoga excuses as to, you know, why it's tough for you to practice or what you're afraid of or what you've heard about that you are wondering if it's true or not. We'd love to hear it. And, um, you know, I have incredibly tight hamstrings. That's my journey. And so does my dad. So I'm sure there's some kind of genetic something or other. And so all of my life, even I was a cheerleader in high school, all those things could not touch my toes. I'm just, I really have had a difficult time. And what I learned through the yoga training, um, going through the training to be a teacher was that it really isn't impossible first off to stretch those out, <laughs> But, you know, second off that, that doesn't really matter that you can actually do a downward dog with a chair if you have to yeah. with straight legs to be able to get your body into that alignment and get the benefits of the posture. So I think it's worth talking about, you know, and, and I'm going to throw it to you, like, you know, how we can benefit from these postures, even if you're not not everybody is going to throw themselves up in a handstand. I mean, that's just not or splits or you know, lotus or any of those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. The yogis say that there are 50,000 postures, yoga, yoga asans and, and mudras. Wow. But if we were to try to practice them all, there'd be no time to do anything else. It'd be silly. The point here is that there's multiple asanas that work the glands in the same way. So you find one, you find a posture that's suitable for you. Okay, just a side bend. Okay, done. It that it does not need to be fancy to be effective. And there's so many postures that overlap have overlapping uh, qualities on the glands. And this is really why I want to get about that. The real work that's going on is inside. Yoga is more about mind than body. Body is a tool. Mind is an eternal type of. Uh, mm, 
quality that we have, that it's timeless. Mind is timeless. Body ages. Mm -hmm. And um, and so what we're doing in our physical yoga practice is we are the, the, the stretchiness and the muscular tone. Those are byproducts of the glandular exercise of which yoga is. It's a glandular exercise. The glands primarily hover around the main, main chakras. And, um, and by that process, our practice has an effect on the mind. It starts to calm the mind. Um, and so we're using the physical body as a harness for the mind. And then the mind in the meditative practice when we do purely something psychic or psycho-spiritual, then that naturally has an effect on the body as well. When you start deep breathing, the, you know, the body systems start to come into a state of pause. And when you start ideating in a particular way or, or focusing on different chakra points, courage can develop. All different things happen. And that's by the glandular secretions. And the glandular secretions can be act, enacted two ways. One, by physical pressure. By, which is what the asans are. They put pressure on the glands or take pressure off the glands. And, and that, that uh, regulation of the glandular secretions then has an effect on the mind. So you can go from physical to psychic and, and the channel is the glands. Or you can go from psychic to physical. If, say, if For example, let's say someone's really nervous and their hands are sweating. If you have them close the eyes, you, you take their and you guide them through a meditation, they will no longer be nervous because they had a shift in mind and the hands, and the, and the hands will stop sweating. Mm. The, the, glandular, the glandular secretion stops. Similarly, you can have someone close their eyes, think about their favorite piece of chocolate cake, and the glandular system will start creating saliva in the mouth. So uh, there is no physical cake. But the mind affects the glands. That's what we're getting at. Mind affects the glands and the physical practice of the yoga postures affect the glands, which then affect the mind. So it's a two-way street. And um, so the real work that we're doing in our physical postures is that underbelly, under the hood. It's not the, it's not the clothing. It isn't how far you reach. It's that gentle massaging and putting pressure and depressure off various glands, which then have effect on the chakra system and the mind. And that's, that's the main thing. So, um, and, but everybody just sees with the crude eyes, they just see the outside. They don't take note of the vibrational shift, or they can, if your mind is more subtle, you'll take note of the vibrational shift. And at the end of yoga class, everybody's more calm, more self-assured, more sanctified, more just by that practice of going through those motions of it helps to calm the mind. So that's really what we're after in yoga. It, I mean, someone might be super flexible and they might be a bank robber. There's no telling. Flexibility itself does not denote the quality of the human being. Hmm. You know, Malcolm X used to talk about in his early days, in his autobiography, how he used to go in and take the watch off the sleeping person. You know, he had all sorts of, you know, he had great balance and, and all sorts of physical abilities too, but I mean, that was the wrong use of the human body. And he'd learned that obviously in his life. But the point is that flexibility is not the quality of the human being. The quality of the human being is the mind and all the physical postures help in refining, calming, centering, awakening the mind. Hmm. I love it. Hope says she cannot hold herself with her right arm, fake shoulder. 
So she's afraid to do one-armed yoga. <laughs> well, I see, I see. Well, there's, I gotcha. Um, well, there's way, lots of ways to do that. Um, first of all, a lot, there are a lot of yoga postures are standing postures. That's then, then it's a non, uh, mostly non-issue. Then there's kneeling postures and then there are seated postures. So a lot of the postures you don't really need to balance or support yourself. The idea that downward dog is like the epitome of yoga is, you know, that's just, that's a trend. It's not a fact. Um, so, um, I used to intentionally teach classes and not do downward dog the entire class. And sometimes other teachers would come to the class and be like, that was so refreshing. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't spend one third of the time in down dog or we didn't even do it. Um, and uh, uh, so, uh, it, so the idea that you have to balance on the arms is that's not true. You can have a complete practice without balancing on the arms. I teach a chair yoga class these days, twice a week. And someone wrote to me, I said, oh, you should join the class. And they wrote, they said, oh, I thought it was for only disabled people. I said, no, come in and you see how engaging it is. And and so we do the whole class in the chair. I, there's not a- Awesome. Yeah. So, um, so I would say to Hope, uh, don't worry about your shoulder. You do what you can with it. There's lots of things, maybe the, uh, Maybe an elbow can work, or I, I'm not quite sure the exact dynamic. I'd probably want to lay eyes on you to see, but there's a lot that yoga has to offer. If I mean, whether you're missing a limb, I mean, look how look what they're doing with the uh, with the uh, I forget what the exact name of it, but with the you know the the troops who've come back who've uh, you know undergone serious um, injury. There's all sorts of groups that work with them and yo doing yoga poses to help them, and uh, some are missing. Uh, you know, arms and, and legs and things, and, and, and you can engage. So one should not feel that, okay, I can't do a side plank or I can't do a crow pose or I can't do, um, th th there's so many other ways to uh, compensate and, and to get the benefits without, you don't need any particular type of pose and you certainly don't need arm balances per se. Yeah, that's a good, good question and a good answer. And I'm curious when we talk about, you know, this being stiff and the flexibility, um, you know, when, when you go to take a yoga class and you're, it's the first thing you're doing of the day and you are feeling really stiff and really, ugh, you know, like what, what are some of your, what's your advice about how to get yourself mentally and physically prepared to even get started um, whether it's just you're stiff on the day, like my husband just went skiing and he, he tried to do some yoga with me and he's just, it was like his whole body hurt. And I know some people are scared to try and they go to their first class and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't do anything these people in this class are doing. So what's some of your advice to kind of mentally and physically prepare to get into that yoga class if it's the first time you're really trying it out or you're just physically feeling stiff? And, you know, know you need to stretch out, but you're not sure what to do. Right. Uh, the first thing I would say is be patient. Just settle into it. And the fact that you're there and doing something is super positive. That, that, that's totally that, that good for you for getting there and doing that and getting on the mat, whether it's your first time or you just woke up and you're, you know, really, really stiff for whatever reason. Um, so that, that's one thing is to just accept where you are physically and know that, th that I, it's not our physical 
form that makes the that makes the practice. Um, and I, if you want a very practical tip, a very practical thing, I'd say try and stretch the glutes a little bit because the glutes connect to the hamstrings and to the back. And so if we think about something very practical, um, that's the first thing I do. If I wake up, I'm stiff, I'm like, I need to stretch my glutes because they are tugging from my back and I'm, I'm bent over like a you know 155-year-old man. And... Um, and uh, I, I got a hundred years before I get to that age. So I, I need to, uh, so I, I just, the glutes are, um, there's a lot to it. And there's a lot of simple glute stretches that can be done. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, but the other is just to literally do what you can. It will, it, the, as you engage, things will loosen up. And, you know, you might surprise yourself. and hold off judgment until the end comes and then see how you feel. And if you feel better at the end than when you started, then that's enough. To, that's your, that's your, and I, I've almost, I mean, everybody feels better at the end of the practice, wherever they were at the beginning, they feel better by the end. Um, mm -hmm. So I would say, just stick with it. Don't, uh, um, don't, uh, don't, don't cut you. Don't, don't sell yourself short or deny yourself the opportunity because it's a little difficult at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Anne's saying your chair yoga is wonderful. I have no doubt. She said it's all stretch and no stress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I love chair yoga. You know, I've gone to some, I love, I'm a big alignment, a Yengar nerd. And I went to the Yengar studio here in Denver before COVID it's been closed down since then. So hopefully it reopens. It's been live streaming, but um, you know, they have whole classes with the chair also. And I just think that's great. Cause like, again, for me to be able to feel the alignment and form of a downward dog with the chair was like an incredible experience for me because then I understood, I think you have to feel the postures in your body to really understand how they're supposed to feel. And I think we often do so many of these postures incorrectly. Um, and we're all hurting ourselves and not even realizing it. Um, so it was an amazing experience on the chair. I mean, you guys would be amazed. I, I think I did more backbends and things that I just didn't even think I could do using the chair, taking right. the relief off of the hamstrings and the legs. So I love chair yoga. I think it's great. Yeah, no, no. I, I taught a chair yoga class this morning. It's some of my favorite classes to teach. And um, you can explore the poses in so many different ways because you've got the support of a chair and really awaken yourself to other aspects of, of the of the practice. So um no I, I think I think it's great. And I'm also and for that matter, all, let all the more props the merrier. If you need a block, you know, that's another thing. Some people come in they're so stiff and they have trouble seeing cross-legged, put a block, sit on a block, lift the hips above the knees, and you'll be you'll be far better off. Um, so there's lots of ways to do that. And um and we're a human family. And if someone ever shames anyone for, then shame on them. For if someone is not so-called, oh, that person was, I don't, I don't really see that happening much, but it may have, I'm sure it, it could happen. And, um, you know, that, that, that person, uh, you know, there's nothing, that, that just, that's just an expression of their own um, uh, degenerated mind. 
There's no competition. We're all brothers and sisters. And the only, the yogis say the only uh, way to become great in this world is to help others become great. You can't become great by yourself. And so it's a very collaborative, collective welcoming. And if that is not going on in the class that you're taking, I would say go look at another class. Mm-hmm. You know, find the right environment uh, for you. Um, that, that's an important, important aspect. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think you have to be able to be your authentic self and not feel like you're judged or shamed. And those are usually yoga classes, studios, things that I run away from is when I go to a class and I feel like it's one big competition. It's like not never the energy that you want in a yoga class is to feel like you're you're competing. I remember being in a class and it was a more advanced class. And because of my knowledge of yoga, I wanted to do the more advanced class. I wanted mm-hmm. to push myself. But at the end of the class, it was like, okay, everybody go up in your handstands, which I could not do. And um, it was really, it, those moments can be the ones that really like, talk about a myth, right? Mm-hmm. A yoga myth is you have to be this like athletic, flexible, you know, strong person. And, and, you know, it's the very first thing to scare you away from going to a class is when something like that happens and you're like, everybody's showing off what they can do. And, right. and then you're all in the ego and you're not even following the yoga. No, I mean, you, that's the, you, what you just said is right. It's the audacity of the ego that you're practicing and you're not practicing anything having to do with yoga. That's like um, hijacked, you know, yoga became hijacked in that regard. <laughs> It totally did. It totally did. And I won't name names, but there's definitely some um, corporations out there who have hijacked it for sure. And it's about, you know, rotator cuff surgery after being in the class instead of uh, the actual practice itself. Yeah, no, no. It's a mind practice. And it's a practice of acceptance and realization and subtlety. And um, I'd like, maybe we can start getting into some other myths about the yoga practice and if anyone has them uh, you know like um like one uh one that folks that talked about or or misses or hot or stumbling blocks or hurdles for coming into a class like one of my students said i couldn't i i thought that the fear of keeping up and we've kind of addressed that already today but that was something just to put it out there in those terms that some people have that but um but uh, one way to go about it is to talk to the teacher ahead of time and or to go with a friend or two, or, you know, get have a little bit of support. But there, there shouldn't be any. No one should feel that I can't keep up. It's not like that. We're not running a race. You know, it, it's it's not, you know, everybody's on the, on the map. There's no question. Um, another one is um, that uh, some people feel that the myth that yoga is a religion. Mm. And it's not a religion. It's a practice. It recognizes a spiritual realm of life, but there's no belief system attached to it. Um, and so um, it's open. It's open. I mean, the only requisite they say for yoga is that you have to have a, a human body. You know, if you got that, you're set. And, and all aspects of yogic spirituality are completely universal in approach and have nothing to do with social standing or any type of external phenomena or be part of any particular club or group or anything of that nature. It's totally unbounded, unbridled freedom of, of, of universal proportion. So there's nothing, um, uh, it's not a religion, it's a practice and it's a practice for physical body, mental body, emotional body, spiritual body. Yeah. 
Um, another one is the gym workout, which is what you were saying at yoga. You know, it's a gym workout. You know, you know, I, I can't do a hundred planks, so I can't do yoga or whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And that that's not. Um, and by practicing, one will get stronger. One will uh, experience enhanced flexibility. Those were coming up, but those are the byproducts of the whole wonderful glandular um, uh, transformation that happens, which then affects the mind. Mm-hmm. Another interesting the uh, tanu tanu means body in in in, uh, in Sanskrit, and the the yogi said the body is in a state of generation up until the age of thirty nine. After that. It's 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 in a state of decline. Now, how steep that decline is, that depends. You know, if you eat at McDonald's every day and all that type of stuff, then it'll have a, a naturally a sharper decline. But um, but the body, the idea that it's a body exercise, then someone who's eighty or ninety, they'll be like, oh, you're a failed. Uh, it, it it sets yourself up for. Uh, for failure, because those the yogis who are, they they may have lost muscle mass and all different types of things, but their mind is shining bright and they can see directly into you know they can see the unseen. It's it's and mind is timeless, and the body is just a house for the mind. And so um, you do, you want to keep the body uh, free and flexible and healthy so that the mind is free. Uh, but it. Um, but once that mind is activated, I mean, someone can be laid up in a hospital bed, but have the mind to see, you know, across, um, you know, so that that's the main thing. And if we think it's just a body uh, exercise, well, heck, everybody's body is going to decompose in this life. I mean, what, you know, everybody's going to get a, at one point, everyone will get a zero score on their final exam. <laughs> you know? And that's not the way. So it's the wrong measuring rod. And, yes. and naturally to be egotistical about look how it's kind of like the, uh, you know, some of the things about beauty these days, you know, and, and it, it leads to an inferiority complex later on because it, the physical body wanes, you know, wrinkles happen, different things happen. And those things are nothing to you. Those things would be proud of. Look how many years I've walked this earth and done good works. You know, and it's not a, it's not, it's not a down point, but the beauty, uh, the, I'm going a little bit off topic, but the main thing is the measuring rod should be proper. And the measuring rod is mind, not body. And one's self-worth is based on mind and conduct and not body. And for that matter, if you want to know a good yoga teacher or, or if anyone's speaking a high sounding words, Make sure it's backed up by their action. That's another thing that every yoga teacher's realized, or every yoga teacher can read my mind. Forget about that. Um, I, when I first started to growing to group meditations, uh, then um, they call it Dharma Chakra. Then I, someone would end the collective meditation, and I used to think that they were like totally tapped into everyone's mind, and they knew the exact time to end the meditation. Then I realized they just had a stopwatch. After half an hour, it was over. You know, but, and I asked the guy, I said, what do you do? How do you know when he said, oh, you know, when time is over, then we stop. So don't don't put too much glory and greatness and, and omniscience, so-called omniscience on, on the yoga, yoga teacher's normal person. And if you want to know how good they are, watch the way they behave in mundane life, in their daily life. That's that's the, that's their not what they do on the mat, 
not what the words come out of their mouth, see how they behave 24 mm seven. -hmm. And, and that's, that's the best way to, um, and then if someone has some words to say and you want, and you appreciate those words, that's wonderful, but don't build the person up because they can do balance on their fingertips or because they can, they use some fancy words or something or shloka or whatever it may be. It's it, the, the quality of the person is based on their conduct. Yeah, totally. Well, and you made a few good points in there. I wanted to touch on one is when you talk about the body, I think there's a big excuse of, um, and I kind of have several things I want to say. One is the big excuse of I have nothing to wear or I can't wear those stretchy pants or, right. you know, something about that. But I also think that goes hand in hand with the equipment and you had brought up the props and man, if I got anything out of my initial yoga training, it was how to use the props. And Satyam, I feel like we should be teaching everybody how to use props. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's scared of it. That's a huge yoga myth, I think, whether it's a myth or a, a block. But when you walk into a yoga studio and they have the blocks and the straps and blankets and all these things piled up on the wall, most people, including myself, before I knew how to use those, I didn't grab them. I was afraid to touch them. I didn't know what they were supposed to do. And those are the number one thing you need when you're too stiff is those yeah. props. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not only, and they can do, and some people think that the mere reaching for a block means that you're somehow deficient or defective and mm -hmm. that, you're, that you're already operating from a deficit. Every month uh, at Renaissance Yoga, we do a monthly challenge. Um, and one month just before, it was just before the pandemic, I think it was February of 2020. I did a block challenge and everybody was coming with two blocks and we did blocks to make the poses more accessible and to make them more challenging and all different ways we use blocks throughout the whole month in all the classes. And um, it really opened up the practice for people um, to were different ways to balance. We were balancing on blocks. We were using blocks for what, if we couldn't touch our toes and they were used in all different ways. And the whole thing became totally destigmatized that everyone's like, let's get the blocks, you know, let's use them for whatever way you needed to use them. They were used and, and I'm all for it. Let, let, um, whatever people need to make the practice safe, to make the practice um, accessible, use it. Yeah. I am. Um, we've got a great question from Nina. Michelle's asking how Cauldron is. She's doing very well. Thank you. She had her little drama crash two weeks ago at the house, but she is back to her normal kitty self and wants to join us today. I guess she doesn't normally do this during a show, but here she is. She's not going anywhere. Um, but Nina has a question. It goes back to what you were saying about the teachers. Um, she is a newly certified teacher. She's asking if we have any words of advice for, for her um, as a newly certified teacher. Yeah, I would say uh, be personable, be true to yourself, and um, be work on the you know teach to your strengths what you feel most comfortable with, and don't be afraid not to know something. No one in this world knows everything. So if someone asks you a question, and don't think that you have because you're a teacher, you therefore have to know and be able to be proficient at every single yoga pose that's ever been done on this earth. It's not like that. So long as you're giving your, your, your students a chance to learn and grow in a safe 
and just environment, then you then that's a wonderful teacher. And don't uh, I never uh, posture posture not physically but psychically to promote yourself or show yourself as something that you know that you're you're not you don't need to compete with anything. You just need to share what inherent gifts you have and what knowledge you have, and that knowledge will naturally grow, and you become better and better the more you teach. And always remember. Everyone can tell when someone's not being sincere or authentic or super. That's the, the, everyone can sense that. So just if you're honest and sincere, and if someone asks a question, you don't know that, don't make up an answer. Say, you know, let's research that. Let me get back to you. Or I don't know. Let's look at you. So I would say, take all the pressure off about what you think a teacher needs to be and just be what you are comfortable with with yourself. And be excited to help your teach your students learn and grow and come into the practice. And if you can help them become a conduit, like a, a teacher could, uh, someone who's physically disabled has no use of their legs, might be a wonderful teacher because they're a great medium for helping people to move ahead. And remember, it's not about you're there to help your students grow. And um, if you can be encouraging and supportive to them in that process, then that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think my advice is just to remember, you know, you're holding this container, your, your classroom is your container for those students to, to really connect with themselves. So I think I always keep that in mind whenever I'm teaching yoga, whether it's an individual or a class is, you know, am I creating a safe space for them to explore their body and to explore their mind and to explore themselves and, you know, as long as you go in with that intention, I think, you know, the class is always, always feels good, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And people, people can sense it. Mm -hmm. They can, they can, and they know that it's safe for them to be themselves. And it's not, there, there's, there's definitely different kinds of yoga teachers. There are yoga teachers that are going to push you physically and are focused on the fitness aspects. And then there are spiritual yoga teachers, you know, there's different ones for different, experiences and for different types of people. And I think it's, you know, don't try to be something as a teacher that you're not be who you are, because you'll attract the students that want to be with you mm. as who you are and vice versa as a student. If you're a student, look for the classes and the teachers that you really connect with. Don't try to push yourself to go to some class that you just don't feel comfortable in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, one, one thing I want to ask you about Satyam, because when I saw your, your topic title, when you sent it over, whenever that was a week or two ago, um, I was like, oh, this is so good. And I think one thing I wanted to touch on is, you know, there is this thought that yoga in the Western culture, especially the U S it, the thing about yoga is, oh, it's a physical fitness Thing. It's a class I'm going to take for my body. And so I wanted to touch on how do we practice yoga that's not physical because there's so many ways for us to practice yoga and what that really means and what it's all about that the mental spiritual aspects of it that you can engage if you're not in a position to go to a yoga class. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, when I first heard that they were having yoga classes in the U.S., I was like, how do you do that? How do you bring, how, 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 what do you, well, I didn't know what they were doing. And then I said, oh, they're doing the yoga postures. I get it. They're doing that. But, you know, yoga is, it's about cultivation of mind. And um, you don't need anything 
outside yourself to, to do that practice. Um, you may, some guidance would be helpful. But if we look at Ustang, Ustang Yoga, the eight limbs of yoga, um, the first two are about how you conduct yourselves in this world and, and how you interact with your own self is more yogic morality. The third one's the asans. The fourth one is pranayama, which is uh, uh, this alternate breathing. It's a meditative technique. Fifth one is pratyahara, withdrawing oneself from external physicality and getting them, goading the mind within. And sixth one is uh, dharana, concentration. And seventh is uh, dhyana, sustained meditation. Eighth is samadhi, the, the culmination. Um, but what I'm getting at here is that um, these things are the it's it's a spiritual it is a spiritual practice the physical aspect is just a little bit of a medium to help get the body prepared for spiritual practice so what can you do one learn jama niyama the 10 principles of yogic life and i have we're going to do that that's coming up on that's on our calendar in a, in one or two months we're going to go over these 10 codes of yogic morality and if you follow those things then it doesn't matter what physical posture you do or don't do. If you follow that, you will be a stellar, you'll be one shining light on this earth. And you'll have, um, so that, so those things, those are uh, asteya, non-stealing, satya, um, benevolent truthfulness, ishwar pranidhan, concentration on the supreme. There's, there's 10. Um, and when come back or write me or, well, I'm looking forward when we do that one. So that's one. If to practice those, uh, ahimsa, don't inflict pain on others. Watch about what things you eat. Um, watch your, your your interactions with others. How what? Um, so that's that the, those. And then there's the contemplative act aspects. If you don't know anything about meditation, you're not sure what to do. Lie down on your back and do shavasana, corpse posture. Do it for ten minutes in a day, and just slow down the breath and lie there. It'll have a very beneficial impact on the brain. The yogis say anyone who has a lot of psychic work in this world. They should do mandatory two to 10 minutes of Shavasana every day, just lying back, palms facing up, slow down the breath. And naturally, as you gain more interest in meditative aspects, you'll learn more techniques. But uh, meditation should be done individually. Every so often, it's okay to collectively meditate, but but uh, meditation is an individual practice. Um, and so... Uh, then, then there's things like fasting, which uh, lifestyle, the, you know, the diet aspect. Bless you. Yeah. Bless you. Excuse me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so, um, so those are all things. There's so much that can be done off the mat. Well, what about seva, service, serve people physically? And if they if they if they have everything they need physically, then serve them psychically. And if they if they have what they need psychically, then help them spiritually to whatever degree you're able to help others. Um, the yogis say we've come onto this planet to do two things, to elevate ourselves and to help others. And that's it. And elevate ourselves does not mean material elevation. It means to enhance our own understanding of who we are in this cosmos so that we can be a greater tool to help others. So it's not about which posture you can do. That, 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 that isn't one of the, the, the postures are just small helping points to help you grow physically psychically and spiritually and if the postures are not doing that for you then you're in then you, you you're doing anti-yoga then the, the postures that you're going in the wrong direction um so it's it's not about so there are lots and lots of things to do off the mat for a yogic lifestyle and we see that 
coming into form as people learn more about the breadth and scope of yoga, breadth with the deep, the wide vastness of the yogic model. And we see intermittent fasting. Well, the yogis have been fasting for centuries and, and thousands of years. Let's explore that. Um, there's a huge uh, uh, plant-based diet um, movement in, in the Western world. The yogis have been doing that for 7,000 years. So a lot of the yogic teachings are uh, things that progressive people in the West are, are exploring, whether they ever practice a yoga class or not. So there's lots to be done. Yeah. I'm so glad you went through all that. And I'm really excited about the Yama Niyama class or, yeah. or talk or whatever we yeah. want to call yeah. show yeah. episode. Yeah. Um, because that was my favorite part of yoga teacher training. You know, I'll tell you what, because we have such a spiritual community here. I mean, that's really so many of you watching and connected in with us or in your spiritual practice. And maybe you've never practiced yoga because you're not in the fitness world, but you've been in the spiritual world. And it's like, well, how do I bridge the two? And there is no greater confidence booster than to connect at your studio with one of the Yama or Niyama classes or workshops that they have. Cause most studios, traditional ones will have classes on that now and then. But when I went through that Satyam, here I'm in this like intensive physical training that was not easy for me to do. Um, yoga has been something I've practiced, but it's certainly for years, but it was all about my nervous system and the spiritual aspects. So I was doing much harder things physically than I'd ever done before. And I went into that class and we went through the Niyamas and I was like, oh my gosh, I practice Spadaya. Like I do self-inquiry. I do meditate. I do practice, you know, these, these things that are part of that, you know, being able to focus, being able to do good things for the planet, you know, really actively listening to each other, all of these things. It was like, oh, like that was such a confidence booster for me. And I think for everybody listening, who's, who's part of this topic today is like, you know, why are we afraid to go try it or what's holding us back? And I think, remember that your spiritual work and the practice of compassion and all of these things you're trying to do to be conscious in the world is a huge part of yoga. When I went through that, I was like, okay, like I was watching these very athletic, flexible people right. who did the yoga teacher training who were struggling and having emotional breakdowns and going through all of this intense spiritual initiation kind of stuff because they'd never done it before where that was like the thing that was old hat for me. I knew how to work through that stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's just a really powerful thing for everybody who's watching, who isn't on their spiritual path. Like you're going to bring something to your mat that a lot of people aren't. And, and that, that what you bring is the ability to be present, to be conscious, to meditate, um, you know, that is something that's going to help you to do those postures and to be in that class and to have an experience that most people won't. You might be having really profound Shavasana experiences that that some of the other people aren't because they just were there to work their muscles, you know? Yeah, no, no, that's all extremely well put, extremely well put. That we are psychic beings. The, the Sanskrit word for human being is manush. And man, man, this, the root word of that, the root of that word is man means mind. We're mental beings. We're not physical beings. The, the physical body is just one aspect of uh, our personality. Our, 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 so everything is psychic. 
um, the, the, the yogis are far more concerned about what ideation you have when you do something than the actual action. If someone gives away $10 million only to have their name put in the newspaper the next day and someone else has five pennies and gives away three of them to truly help someone, that's a greater gift. The three pennies are greater, far outweigh, far outweigh the $10 million grant or whatever you gave. So it, this world is not, this, the, we are, the ideation, that subterranean flow of consciousness that's beneath all the physical manifestation, that is the world that the yogis tap into. The physical manifestation is very, uh, I don't want to say superficial. If you, if you, if with a good heart, you give someone who's hungry a sandwich. It's meaningful. But, but you know, this idea that materialism is be all end all is garbage. That 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 you know, we judge people on what kind of car they drive or how big the house. And meanwhile, how much did they exploit others in order to get that car to get that house? So it is. This world is ideational. What goodness do you have in your mind, and how are you executing that during the day? And we are. That's that's the how vast is your mind. How selfish are you? How selfless are you? That's the quality of the human being. And the yogic practices, if done properly, they that's what gets built up. Not physical strength. Physical strength, what postures you do is, um, you know, that's those are fleeting. And as I say, we're hopefully we'll all age in a healthy way. But, you know, um, I'm caretaking my 92-year-old mom now. She We're working on a balanced posture. She's post. But she, if I were to judge her, based on what physical posture we've done, I always said, okay, she's useless. She's a useless human being, but she's very compassionate, very sweet lady. And we look at the psychic qualities of a human being, not the physical qualities. It, so um, the, the postures are just a way to keep the physical body fit to the degree that we can be fit in whatever mode of life we're in. And they're not the defining part. The defining point is our our, our psychic outlook, our, our the vastness. How many people can we care for in this world? How many people? You know what? What spiritual, and and those things diminish the ego. Don't build it up. So, um, yeah, yeah. This um, it, it, the measurement is not physical. The measurement is psychic and psycho spiritual. And by that point. Um, that that's that's what makes people really wonderful in this world. Mm -hmm. Black growth, and that's what yoga is all about. You know, but but the physical is so easy. That's why materialism is people. Materialism can spread so quickly. It's so palpable, so tangible, and the effect and the gratification is so immediate. I mean, it's poisonous, uh, but it's immediate. Uh, and so, so people, it's very so people. It's very easy to. That's how it got exported to so many countries. We were able. But this, the real things are uh, the, the unseen, the unseen. And that's really what makes people wonderful. And we're coming to that. Slowly, we're coming to that realization as a collective human body. I mean, you know, we've birthed the, you know, we've kind of gone through the ditches of materialism uh, in the U.S. more so than other places, perhaps. But um, anyway, um, yeah. Yeah. So the, all everything in yoga, the, it's all psychic and psycho-spiritual. The physical aspect is just a support piece for that other growth. Mm, so beautifully said. And, you know, time flies in here. And I'm wondering if you have a story or parting words of wisdom for us today. Yeah, let's see here. I'll try and dump, jump into the, the trove of um, <laughs> uh, what I may have and available. Um, 
Yeah, there's um, a story about um, Krishna. Uh, he was a great yogi who was on the planet. And it leads into uh, it leads into uh, what um, what we're discussing today. That Krishna showed up at uh, Vidura's house, and Vidura was not home. Vidura was a great minister, but his wife was home, and the wife was so nervous that this great yogi king Krishna had come to her house, and she's like, "Oh, I have to offer some food. I have to offer food." And she did. She offered food, and he took the food. He accepted the food, and. Um, and she was so pleased that he was eating it. And then at some point, the husband came home, Vidur came home, and he saw what was going on, and he was shocked, and Krishna was just eating the last bite, and Krishna ate it. In her nervousness, she served him the banana peels, but not the bananas. And, and Vidur came in, the husband came in and said, we are so sorry for this injustice. And Krishna said, what injustice? That was the tastiest food I've ever had. That your wife, that food was served with such love and such such generosity and such sweetness that the food became, those peels were sweet for me. And I will never forget this wonderful meal. And it's the idea that we should, that it's the ideation that makes the action great, not the action in and of itself. And, um, and the action should not be judged from the material world, material matter, but the ideation behind it. And um, so similarly, the postures and you know, relates with what we were talking about today, that, uh, that it's a psychic outlook and the, the, underlying, the underlying invisible thought behind that's so meaningful. Mm, that's so beautiful. And so perfect for today. Because well, that's what today. it's all about. I mean, this is... Such a good conversation, and I want to invite everyone, please, if you're watching on the replay, you can still comment on the video on the replay. You can also join us in the Ajatakasha community app in Yogi's, and we can keep the conversation going. In fact, um, I'll throw up a post in there right now because I'm curious what other myths, myths or obstacles or blocks folks yeah. have. Um, so let's just keep this conversation going because I think Satyam and I love to, to keep this going and talk with all of you. Um, and um, Satyam, what do you have going on? What's going on in your world and how can folks connect with you and do you have anything upcoming? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I'm teaching seven days a week. You can, anyone can join in anytime. Renyoga.com, renaissanceyoga.com. Uh, and um, this month we're working on a tree pose balance, people, a tree pose challenge. Folks can uh, join in on that one. That's just a home practice. And we gave some guidelines for that. Um, and uh, at the Ajatakasha um, forum, the yogi group, we try and post things and, and share that way. So yeah, lots of, there's lots of, lots of things. Um, and I do monitor all the comments that people offer here and respond to them all. So if you have a question, you can leave a comment here or you can um, come over to my site, but I do follow this. So if you're watching a replay and you want to say something, I'll catch it. So um, let me know. But um, yeah, no, it's great. Uh, great to connect and great to share and, uh, I love hearing from folks.
Yeah. Well, we love you so much. I'm so glad we're here every single month. It's a month is almost too long. So I feel like I could talk to you a lot more. So I'm glad that you take the time to come onto the show every single month. It means a lot to me, Satyam. And I know it means a lot to the community. So thank you so much for being here. I I look forward to this and I'm so thankful for the platform that you've created. It's so exciting to watch it grow and manifest and all those great things. And it's a pleasure to be here and talk with you always. Oh, thank you. And thank you to everybody who's watching live or on the replay or listening on audio. We're also on iTunes, Spotify, our heart radio, all of the, all of the places. So you can get us anywhere. So thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back on Thursday morning with me and Delisa for our this morning show. If you want to be a subscriber in the spotlight for that show, don't forget that you can post your coffee mug in the Ajatakasha app. Um, on the This Morning Forum. So don't forget that as well. And we have a big month this month, you guys. We have Aaron Abke coming on the show. Really big deal. Pretty awesome. We also have Terry from Bonzalium coming on to my husband's and I first collaborative show, the Pulsension Music Hour. That's going to be next week. We're going to be talking about all of the spirituality behind the Led Zeppelin band, um, which I'm very excited about. And um, just all good stuff. And at the end of this month, believe it or not, it's our one year anniversary of One Heart, One Earth and Buddhist Biohacker. We created over 4,000 minutes of content last year in those summits. And we're going to be sharing all of those with you guys as well. So don't forget to click subscribe. I have to remind you guys of that. Don't forget to go to renaissanceyoga.com to visit Satyam. And we do have a new um, membership program in here on YouTube on this channel. So don't forget to check that out too. You just click join and it'll tell you all about it. But we have some really fun um, emojis and I will be doing live stream psychic medium readings for everybody once a month who's in in this community as well. So otherwise, I'll see you guys in the Ajatakasha community app. And um, I love you, Satyam. Thank Uh, you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody.